our DT systems, the Rap 1400 or 1400 if you like doing it that way, but it's the Rap 1400. It's a collar that is super reliable, ready to rock, and it's super handy because you can hold it in your hand while you're shooting your shotgun during duck season. So it's a cool unit for you and your dog come hunting season so that you've got control over any situation. Anything the dog throws at you during the hunt is right there, easy and accessible. Bingo, bango, bongo. If you don't want that one, check out the H. 201820. It's the DT Systems and it's dog tested, dog tough. Hashtag man's best kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide in the DMs. We'll hook you up. Force fetch. What is it? It's super intimidating to so many people, yet it's not that difficult. I built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it, you and your dog can be successful in it, and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals. That's what it's built for. Let me teach you how I do it so that you and your dog can do it. Different breeds, different personalities, problem solving, and more. Check it out, links in the description, the Force Fetch course, baby. What's going on, everybody? You heard it. The pterodactyl is on the line. Welcome to the show, Blaine. I don't even know what to do. He's here. I think you better thank your sponsors and let's get this show on the road, bud. All right, man. First up, let's talk about that Yukonuba, baby, that new formula. Blaine, you've been feeding the new formula, haven't you? I have. Love it. How are those little uh, Boykin, Boykin poopies? Man, they're good little boys and poopies, looking good, dogs looking good. We went to the 2616 exercise program they have, and it's really doing good. Love it. Nice. Good for you. I have I have some dogs on that, and I've got some dogs on the 3020. I'm, I'm pleased. And now that we're on the subject, I'm going to say it out loud. i got to bring some of that home. Okay. Go in the garage. Get it yourself. <laughs> you know where it is. I know a guy. Yeah, there you go. Next up, Gunner Kennels. Gunner Food Crate. We did a little video on Check Gunner, out. Gunner Food Crate. Oh, someone's calling me. They can get rid of it. It's podcast night. Decline. We're going to put that on snooze here. <laughs> Gunner Food Crate, everyone. Made in America. Watertight. When you're rolling down the road, you've heard me say that about keeping your dog safe. It's not a bad idea to keep your food safe, too. It holds up to 50 pounds of dog food like 11-something gallons of water. It's pretty legit. They said it's completely watertight so that it can be, it can withstand being like a half hour submerged underwater at the bottom of your pool. 
Right. Uh, we which don't throw it in that. the pool, but let's get real. You know, how many times have we been at a hunt test or even just on a normal night traveling, hunting, traveling yeah. and, and you got to feed dogs and I've got the food bin wide open, you know, feeding from the top of it. I can throw this latch down and every bowl I scoop stays fresh. It also, Miss Memphis is known to get into the food bin and she can't anymore. Thank you, Gunner. So Dog check proof. Out, check out the patent bended made in America food crate by Gunner. Next up, Dogtra. I almost said uh, smoke them if you got them, but that's triggered up next. But first, true. Dogtra. Blaine, uh, what is in your back pocket or in your right hand when you're training dogs? Man, it's got to be in your hand or it's not in the right place. It's a darty every day. We've got three of them rolling. Do you ever dabble with their bark collars? I do. I do. I've got some bark collars, got some barkers. They wear the collar, whether it's charged or not, it works. Absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing but positive reviews on customer service, quality, battery life, all that stuff. If you have an issue, the folks at Dogtra help you out. And the cool part is there's infrequent issues. I mean, I've sold hundreds of e-collars and out of hundreds, I can count on one hand the folks who called me and needed some help. And then when they called Dogtra, they got it. So to me, that is worth its weight in gold. They support us. So check them out. Dogtra. People ask me what I use. Blaine said it. We use the Edge RT. It's a three dog unit. So you can have three collars on three different dogs and run that. Or we use the 1900S when we're out hunting and we need a little smaller remote in our waders or around our neck, you know, grouse or pheasant hunting. So I use the two dog system. 1902 S. Oh yeah. Real I don't nice. know what the S stands for. Maybe suck it. Shamalama. <laughs> no. The 1902 sexy, the sexy version. Next up, Traeger grills. We're trying to get Blaine on the, the pellet grill train. He is, I lived with him last winter. He is a phenomenal cook. I'll get, I mean, I don't even, I, you know what? I feel like I need to take it back because I'm going to get make your head blow up too big, but you are a above average chef on a grill, buddy. I like the grill, man. I like the smoke. I like to do it. Tomorrow's Wednesday, client day. We'll have the grill out in the field. I've got some fresh deer back straps cut up with bacon around them, like little fillets. They're going to be good on the grill. Are you just rubbing it in Bob's face and he hasn't shot a deer yet? Ever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did you hear that he had snow packed into his scope? He heard. Yeah. Big time rookie mistake, but we're working on it. We gave him a few tips on how to avoid that next time. We'll get there. Yeah. Smoke him if you got him. I was so disappointed. Uh, Next up, Kent Ammunition. Kent Cartridge on the old Instagrams. We've been shooting that bismuth, ladies and gentlemen, that bismuth. And if I, so, all right, I'll give a a little heavy metal shout out because you've listened to this podcast enough. You know that I was shooting three inch threes, heavy metal out of the Browning Shatori for years, years. And it patterned really well. And I'd kill ducks and, and we had a good time. 
if I went to shoot some other ammo out of it, I'd be missing ducks and, and I'd go and grab two of the heavy metal and roll the next two. Well, I was, I'll be honest, I was a little nervous about switching again and I am not nervous anymore. Rolling. No, legit. Rolling. Wood ducks, dead. Mallards, dead. Teal, dead. Grouse, woodcock, dead. And I don't mean crippled. I mean, it packs a punch. It's non-toxic. So I was shooting sixes, their upland load out of my 20 gauge and not a duck. Unless I completely whiffed. If I hit a duck, it wasn't crippled. It was, it was done. And I can appreciate that from a conservation standpoint, because if you cripple them, even though we've got well-trained dogs that dig them out and hunt them up, sometimes those ducks will dive under, you know, the water and grab onto some vegetation or get underneath a boggy marsh and up into the weeds and they're just gone, disappear. And, um, I'm really, really pleased with how my guns and myself have been shooting that bismuth. Give them the business. Give them the business with the bismuth. Check out Kent Cartridge on Instagram. And lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They keep us in tune with you. We're in tune with them. Uh, they've got a bunch of other podcasts on the docket. So check them out on Instagram, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. All right, Pterodactyl, you, my friend, it's been a few months since you've been on the show here and it I hasn't really, been that long, but I do think Blaine just texted me a picture of him sitting next to a candle. That's adorable. I'm bet he's in his you like truck. That? Yeah, no, that's cute, man. I'm in my truck. I got, I've been cleaning my truck out while we're working on this and had a gift from a client and there was a can truck to get rid of some of the dog smell and it's, it's, it's a vanilla fragrance. I like it. There you go. Uh, so Set the mood. We're rolling with tonight. Yeah, Set the podcast mood. Very good. Now, Blaine, uh, one thing I want to touch on in the beginning here, folks, this past week was Boykin Nationals. And if you hadn't heard the word, my friend Blaine here is a renowned Boykin Spaniel aficionado and really made a name for himself with the Boykin breed and is known across the the country, if not world, for breeding, training, and raising Boykin Spaniels. And so this was, you know, the event where he can show up with his truck full of dogs, his clients whose dogs he's trained and they ran. And, and I'd like to take a minute and have Blaine recap. Not only, I, I want to talk about pre-training Blaine for a big event and trying to get dogs to peak. So that'll be part of our episode, folks. But I, I want to talk about the event. You know, I want to hear about each, maybe not each dog, but like, you know, highlights and, and proud moments. Well, we're still wore out from it. It was a great event as usual. It's usually in the spring. Uh, it was canceled due to the Rona, like everything else was back in the early spring. It's usually in uh, early April. It was postponed until this past weekend. It is in Camden, South Carolina. Actually, most of the trial this time was in a little community called Boykin. So that was uh, pretty cool. But it's a great weekend. It starts on, you know, Thursday pretty much. And trial begins Friday morning and runs until they have their answers. Um, they can run up to four series in each level. So you have a, you have a puppy stakes, which is highlighting puppies under 12 months old. Uh, it's pretty cool. 
uh, to see what those little boogers can do that are raised and trained right. And I think there was, gosh, 40-something puppies entered in the Nationals, 12 months and older or younger, all across the country coming in and getting it done there. Uh, what do they have to do the, for the puppy steak? I'm sorry to interrupt the you. The puppy you? is, you know, it's, it's purely, it and the novice steak is, is purely a marking test. There's no handling. There's no blind. The rules in puppy state that you can restrain your puppy. They don't have to be steady. Um, someone shoots for you. Uh, they are using these big white pigeons uh, for the birds. They get them in South Carolina at a place called the Pigeon Plant. Um, but they use these big white pigeons, and they're just testing the natural ability pretty much of a puppy to mark a, mark a bird, you know, on land and on water, go in there, get that bird, and bring it back. And if you have a, a puppy, you know, that's 11 months old, that's been in training for, you know, four or five months, or is with, you know, the owner, and they've worked with that puppy since day one, and you can have that puppy through force fetch, and, you know, able to handle a bird correctly and not chomp on it, tear it up, and come back to you when it gets the bird. I mean, these, these are simply puppies. You never know what in the heck some little booger is going to do. Uh, no matter what the breed at that age, but they uh, they're judging you know straight lines. Who made the straightest line to it? Who was acting good on the line? You know that wasn't dragging you to the line. That wasn't jumping around. That wasn't a uh, a problem. But you know would sit still, go straight to the bird, and bring it back. And if you have a dog that delivers the hand, you have an advantage over the other dog. Um, it just looks good in the judge's eyes and little things like that. Same with novice is a a marking test. And they're just seeing, you know, they're going to look a little bit more critically at line manners and novice. The dogs don't have to be steady, but there's a point deduction for every mark uh, that they pick up being restrained. So you're not going to win novice if your dog's not steady. They're going to do land and water marks as well. Uh, they're going to be a good bit more technical. They could be cheaty. There's lots of different things that they're going to judge them on, but it's a, it's a marking test as well. Then you jump up to intermediate. And an intermediate, it's very similar to what a senior test might look like. The marks can be tighter. Like the first series of the senior this year was a very, very tight set of marks converging. It was a double, uh, lots of cover changes, tall cover. And then you turned and ran a, a blind tight behind the, the gun of the go bird, angled across you know several rows of, of stripped out cover. It was a really pretty cool little test. But they're judged on from the moment you come out of the holding blind off lead to, to the mat or to the bucket and scored on marking, scored on memory, scored on, you know, on the blind. Does this dog respond to the whistle? Does it take a cast? Does it change direction? These are some really, really good young dogs uh, running an intermediate. Um, and then you have the open class, and that's the, the best in the country coming together. And I think it, we set a record this year with 46 open dogs. Really big event. Uh, had some great, great tests in the open this year. Uh, man, they were booger bears. They were tough. But all the tests and all the areas were fun. We had clients running dogs. We had a buddy of ours running some of our young pups. If you're a professional trainer, you're not allowed to run puppy or novice. You can run novice if you own the dog, but you can't run puppy no matter what. And so we had a guy came in, uh, an amateur from South Carolina that's good friends with the with us and part of our kennel as an amateur and he ran those dogs for us and did an awesome job ended up getting a blue ribbon getting first place in puppy and 
think we got third and fourth and a jam or two. So did he did really well in that. He also ran some novice dogs and, and got first in novice. I'd have to look over all the, the pictures and the stats. I don't have everything out in front of me, but uh, we had a few jams, and I think we had another placement in the novice. And then in the intermediate level, we had a uh, really cool story on this. We had first and second and intermediate with our dogs. And first place dog was actually my old buddy Drake, who died a few years ago. It was his last breeding puppy out of his last breeding, one intermediate. And then a puppy out of our dog Buck was three quarters of a point away from winning and, and ended up in second place. So uh, that was pretty neat. Another buck puppy got got a jam, and she was she was really running a great trial, probably running better than the first two placements. And had a little issue on the in the finals on one of the blinds because the dog had to go to the bathroom. So moral of the story is air your dog. Um, air your dog's good, but it happens, and she still ended up running a pretty good trial. And we had a, a dog named Tank go to the finals in the open, really hitting it pretty hard. And we got to this water series in the open, and I'll have to show it to you when you come down south this winter, Bob. But it, it was a really, really neat setup. And I don't know if you want to go through describing the setup, but it was pretty cool. Very, very it, tough. So we had a, it was a big, big pond, big tech pond, but there was a big section, looked like a giant bowl full of grass and weeds and, and water. And you had a big, steep bank to come off the dam towards the pond. And there was an honor dog already at place down close to the line of the working dog. You came out of the holding blind, walked straight down that hill with a gun, and when you got halfway down the hill, a bird comes out left to right, flashing in the middle of the pond about 65, 70 yards out. Your dog had to sit down right then, and when the bird hit the water, the honor dog retrieved that bird. Um, as soon as that dog had that bird in his mouth, you were to proceed to the mat in full control. They didn't want to see the dog out in front of you. They didn't want to hear you yelling at the dog. You needed to walk at a steady pace and get to that mat, load three, sh you know, you didn't load three shells yet. The dog returned with the duck. The honor dog left the, the line, and you then ran a cold blind across the pond. They told us it was 100 yards. Someone there ranged it and may have found that it was 145 yards um, through a bunch of nastiness directly past the, that fall where that walk-up bird came out and landed with a pretty strong wind. It was cold that morning. There's a little keyhole of grass that you needed to hit, and then you just swam down a real grassy bank for the rest of the way, at which there was a, a poison bird planted. We didn't see it. They just had a bird planted in that grass that you were going to swim by to finish the blind. And so one of the better dogs in the country ended up picking up that poison bird on the way to the blind. So it was a factor, but you ran the blind. Your dog comes back after the blind. You then load three shells. And now a triple comes out. And every mark on the triple was, you know, we're meaty. We've run some grands. I don't think I've ever seen a grand as hard as that water setup was. It was challenging. So the three birds came out. One at the left at about 65 yards. One straight up the gut just probably 20, 30 yards to the left of where that blind was, landing in some thick grass on the edge of the pond, and then your go bird out to the right about 120, um, going down the shore and, and landing in some grass. And Man, I had a dog, Tank, who came to me. Gosh, I've only had him for about six months. Came to me because he had severe line manner issues. I was there. Yeah. Yeah, you and I judged him. Yep. He was out of control. 
I'll tell you one thing. Hank looked like he wanted to run a grand the way he was playing at this national. Cool. Walked with me at Eagle, sat down, watched the birds, never picked his butt up off the ground, sat when I blew the whistle. That was the big thing. And, man, he hammered the other series, gets to the finals, and, you know, runs a pretty good blind. Runs a pretty good blind past that, that walk-up bird, goes by the uh, poison bird pretty good, and finishing the blind, we're looking really good. Picks up the first two marks, perfect. We got to pick up the big bird out in the middle. And I'd already told myself, we're not trying to get a green ribbon. We're trying to win this thing. I am not handling this dog unless it just gets way, way bad. And at that point, it's not going to matter. And he took a pretty good line, 70% of the way to that bird. Started to, to ease out the beach out a little bit early, but did something similar to what the test dog did. And the test dog got up there, up on the bank, and got behind that gun and, and ran down that other levee. And he caught a, a whiff of that bird, I guess, coming up that hill. And the test dog bailed off back in there and got it. Hank took the same route and put his nose to the ground when he got to the same spot the test dog got to and looked like he was about to bail off in there. Instead, he turns the other direction, gets out of sight on the other side of the dam, and pops up. Finally, when he pops up, man, he's so offline and, and so far gone. Uh, we got into a little handling battle, trying to get him back over there, and he was uh, close to one of the gun stations and could smell a bucket full of ducks, and it all just went to, to crap from then. But, man, I was really proud of Tank. Man, he, he was a, he's a different dog now. Really did well and, and looked good. But we had a great, great showing. It was really, really good for our young dogs. It showed that the process that we've got with these young dogs, sending them to our kennel in Lexington, South Carolina, to get started there first, uh, is working. They're doing a tremendous job with them. We've got all the faith in the world that when they get a, a puppy in training, and we take them at eight weeks old if someone wants to do that. But our puppy guys get started with them and do some really cool things with them and uh, get them through the force fetch process cleanly and quickly. And you know, the dogs have a good attitude. They're steady. They're When I see a dog now, it's already to force the pile. And they're still not with me yet. They're at our kennel here. But then one of my other trainers takes over and gets it through force the pile, gets it through T-work, goes to swim by, runs it through swim by, and then I take over at that point. And it highlighted those guys a lot. And it was good for them to see their hard work paying off. And it was good to see we had a bunch of buck puppies that, you know, that, that placed or got jams and finished the trial and, you know, showed some of the, the cool things that were coming from breedings at a buck. And it, it was a good weekend. Now, biggest deal, some might say this is kind of stupid, but there's something they do at the Boykin Nationals the last day before the award ceremony. It's just been a historic event, but they do the hot dog retrieving challenge. Yep. How'd you do? It's, it's a he, big deal. I've been running the hot dog. Playing the dogs uh, I don't know how many years. I love a hot dog. Now, Wasn't we don't get to. Smoke them if you got them. Smoke them if you got them. We don't get to retrieve the hot dog, but the, the game is, and it's a fundraiser for Boyd and Spaniel Rescue. You walk up there with a dog, give them five bucks, and you get to do the challenge. And the nice. challenge is you. You sit your dog at the ribbon. They're going to throw a hot dog as a mark, and your dog is to go retrieve the hot dog and bring it back to you across the ribbons without eating the hot dog. I've been trying the hot dog challenge since I've been going to Nationals. I've had a decade or more of hot dog failures. 
last year I spent $300 trying to get dogs to get that hot dog and bring it back. I went through every dog on my trailer, couldn't get one. And so this year I get there and want to support Boykin Spaniel Rescue. So I said, well, I'll get a dog. Went and got a Boykin, sent her for the hot dog. She got to it, ate the hot dog. I thought, man, it's going to be the same thing as every year. <laughs> it's at least I for a good a dark, cause. It's for a good cause, but I had a dark horse in the trailer that I just got 20 minutes before. Master National. Of, find him on the side Master of the road. Na- Master National Hunter, HRCH Creek. I had just been dropped off with me because we're going on the Master Trail for the next few weeks, getting qualified for Idaho. And for some reason, a voice inside of me said, get Creek out. So I got Creek out. Now, I got a little bit of some booze and some you know other negativity when I came to the line with the lab. But I walked to the line, I handed him my five bucks, they threw the hot dog, and you can do this as many times as you want with the same dog. And so he ran out there, looked at the hot dog, looked at me, I yelled at him to fetch it up, he kind of picks it up halfway, but he's not chewing on it, and I thought to myself, I'm in it to win it. So I, I took the DQ on the first run, I ran up to him, I placed the hot dog back in his mouth, told him to hold, and walked him back to the ribbon. Grabbed the hot dog, went back behind my trailer, threw it a couple times, did a little four-step session on the hot dog, and we came back to the line with another five bucks. The first place score at this point was 16 seconds. There and back with the hot dog intact. I called for the called for the hot dog. <laughs> I sent the dog. Were you wearing a white coat for this? I, I was not. There's no hand. If you have to handle a hot dog challenge, you're not going to make it. All right. So, you know, pure marking. He marked the hot dog perfectly. <laughs> runs i mean like a maniac 100 miles an hour to that hot dog scoops that son of a gun up i go crazy yelling and running backwards trying to get him to come back to me with that hot dog and lo and behold creek is tearing off back after me crosses the ribbons i grab the hot dog show it to the judge that it's intact 8.4 seconds brother beautiful i am a now staring and i've got it still hanging on the dashboard of my truck. Yeah, that's why you need that candle. <laughs> for the hot dog challenge. Good for uh, you, man. Big day. Big day for us, man. It was pretty exciting, but no, it was, it was, it was a fun week. I'm glad. I'm very proud of you for the young dogs. I sweep. The other dogs were there. You know what I'm, I kind of want to touch on is, the breeding that has been taking place and the level of expectations of the breed in the last five to maybe 10 years where open, I feel like I was at the Boykin Nationals maybe five or six years ago now and the level of open was different than the level of open now. Or maybe it's more dogs are capable and further and whatever the case may be. But a lot of it comes down to better breeding and then better expectations of the owners and holding the dogs to a higher standard and getting more out of the dog. Do you agree with that or am I barking up a wrong tree? No, there, there's some truth to that statement. There's always been great dogs. What you're seeing now, though, is you're seeing a lot of great dogs. Dan Reel, who owned Chiefs, was there. Turb with his great dog. 
man, Butcher is a, a buddy of mine, a great guy, a great trainer, one of those amateurs that is just going to come and kick your butt every time. But him and Pelham won their third national championship. I think it was Pelham's last run. He's retiring Pelham now. Um, but he had great dogs before Pelham that were always in there. And, you know, there was a couple of other folks there with, with dog, new dogs that had run, have been running the Boykin National since it started. And back 10 years ago, there were six or eight really good dogs. And they were just as good as the, as the dogs are now. But there were six or eight of them. Now you're looking at, there's 40 dogs there that are good dogs, you know, that on any day can, can do the work. And, and so there's, I don't think overall the dogs are any better. I think there's just more great dogs. And that's a representation of the breeding. That's a representation of the training, the, the goals that people are setting for their dogs down, the expectations they have. And it's not just good enough anymore that you can get a boy in with a starter title or a season title and be happy. Now, there was 40-something-plus HRCH Master Hunter Boykins or National Champion Boykins in this trial, and it was the best of the best. I don't know of any of the top Boykins in the country that weren't there. Phil Hinchman's there with a crew of, of, of great dogs every year, and I spoke to Phil you know, for a while yesterday about the trial on the phone, and Phil's done an extraordinary job of breeding a higher class of Boykins that are doing great work, that are getting titles, that are, that he had a female that, that he bred past the grand this past year in, in Kentucky, first female boy can ever to pass the grand. So they're getting better. The training's getting better and the breeding's getting better. And overall, it, it makes for a better event. You got, you used to, you'd look at four or five dogs. And what are these dogs going to do? You know, the rest of them we're not worried about. Now you got to look at the whole list and say, my gosh, there's, now, there's 40 good dogs here this weekend. You, know, you yeah. better have a hell of a weekend if you're going to do good. And one glitch, one little misstep is all it takes to get you out of it. So it, it, it's neat to see it grow. Um, it's neat to see the old, you know, the old magazines and, and, you know, books from the past Boykin Spaniel National Field Trials where, you know, they had 12 open dogs. And the test. I, I've run a bunch of them. I've never seen tests like these this weekend. And they were just, they were thought out. If you could tell these judges sat and they studied the wind, they studied bird placement, they threw birds, they put decoys out in the right places. They, they were looking at everything and they were pretty tight on us. And they didn't, they didn't want us to stop on the way to the line. It, it was very grandish from start to finish. It was a fun weekend, but all the areas had great judges. These are really, really good judges they get from all across the country. Uh, to come out, and a lot of them are dog trainers, and they know, you know, they know where to put birds, and that's uh, that's critical. And it, it was it was a good event. It was cool. fun, but you know what? You get home, and guess what? Hey, we got to run a master test next weekend. Let's roll. That's right. Let's talk about preparing dogs for for events. The effort that goes in just running a regular weekend master test is is day in day out training. But when you're actually trying to go to a Boykin National or a Super Retriever Series Crown or a Master National, the level of expectations is raised. And trying to create a peak, like an athlete, like trying to peak at the right moment, physically, mentally, everything, is different per dog. And it's very nuanced. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I wish I knew the secret. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, 
have a, I think we have a pretty structured approach to it. And you're not going to teach a dog everything last couple of weeks before an event. You're really not going to teach it anything new. You've got the dog you've got. And let's say two weeks out, we're going to make things pretty hard. The marks are going to be tough. The blinds are going to be tough. The drills are going to be tough. We're going to hold them to a very high standard. We're going to we're going to get into them a little bit. We're going to make sure this dog understands. You're going to sit your butt down. That you're going to take this cast. You're going to you're going to do what we say to do. It's going to be we're tightening them. Up, we're tightening them down. We're you know hitting the throttle, making sure this dog realizes I'm in control of this deal. And so you're not beating them down, but for lack of a better term, you're tightening them down. You're getting them where you want them. And then you're going to ease back on them a little bit that week before. And we didn't, we didn't throw anything crazy at them the week before. We worked on fundamentals. We worked on coming out of a holding blind and walking with us, sitting down next to it, either on a dove stool or, or standing there like we're running a master test, but you know, making sure the dog sat, make sure the dog could, would swing with the gun, would move with our legs good, didn't make the marks terribly hard that week before because we didn't really want to get on to them for work out in the field. We wanted to work on fundamentals. So run a lot of handling drills and ran a lot of blinds to, to make sure, okay, is this dog going to stop when I blow the whistle? Is he going to take a cast? Is he going to change direction? Going to just make good decisions. So we weren't we weren't trying to teach new things the week before. We were tightening down the things we knew the dog knows. Um, and, and there were some dogs that, you know, we knew had some deficiencies, and we were going to hammer down on those things a little bit, but, you know, every dog's different and, you you know, every dog got something different that they need to work on. And you just got to, you know, formulate a plan that's going to work for everybody. And when you're, we're running three different venue events in the next, you know, counting this past weekend and then this coming weekend and the following weekend, it's three different venues, three different sets of rules, uh, three different ways of doing things. And how do you train 30-something dogs? to do three different things when some are running some are running a master test next weekend some are not running the master test next weekend but are running an hrc finish test the weekend that after that and then we're running another master test and so how do you balance out your training to you know to fit the needs of all those dogs without having to do six different setups a day and that's the trick right now and we've got a master test coming up Everything is more AKC master-oriented, shots in the field, doing walk-ups as part of the mark, shooting flyers, down the shore, cheaty stuff, and working on those things. But fundamentals are fundamentals, and I think it really doesn't matter really what venue you're running. Next week, we'll pull out a shotgun, put it at the line, and we'll shoot over the dogs a little bit. We'll swing with the gun. We'll sit at the bucket, and we'll do, you know, some different, different activities. You're just balancing everything out to make sure we're working on marking and memory and teamwork. And we can get those three things down, then they should be good at every venue. Um, it'll be a crazy next few weeks, and hopefully after that we'll be about finished the hunt test circuit for the season, and we're going to run a couple uh, more qualifiers, and we've got a couple of young dogs that are preparing to run derbies, and there's a few derbies and skews coming up in late November, early December that we're going to go uh, – we're going to go run and have fun there, but I don't know. We're working on a dozen different things at once, pretty much. Yeah, you're burning the candle at both ends, buddy. Well, I got the candle in my truck, man. Help me. <laughs> Vanilla. 
Vanilla. Vanilla. Yukonuba scented candles would be pretty clutch right now, but I'm sure you'd have all the dogs. Read a message now. I hear you. One thing I want to learn about is, how do I want to say this? Because I want to know about your up-and-coming young dogs, the derby dogs, you know, the dogs you're going to run in, in the queue, because yeah. those are fun. For me and you, our bread and butter is hunters and hunting dogs. And for you more than me, the derbies and queues are almost a hobby, right? We don't make our living off of building field trial dogs. So this is like you've got some up-and-comers that really have potential and the owners are down to play, so let's do it. And uh, for me, just personally, right now, my puppy Quinn, who you met last winter with the corn debacle, we won't get into that, but you remember her. I would love to run derbies with her. Her ability to pick out the white coat and run long and for the most part hit water, it's really nice. And so I'd like to do it, but she's my only bullet in the gun. I don't have other young dogs at her age and caliber that are able to do it. So I'd find myself having a hard time juggling the, I guess, what I do is say, all right, Jimmy, you know, grab your jacket, you know, your white coat and grab the four wheeler and go and we'll do Memphis cruise, Ember, Quinn, brew hunter, five or six or seven dogs on a big white coat setup. And then everybody else gets a hunting dog hunt test setup, if you will, just cause I've got to balance, you know, those six month old puppies and the nine month old puppies and the I, I find it hard. Maybe I'm making excuses, but my point is I have to completely separate the the categories, if you will. And I'm kind of digressing and I apologize, but if you have a crew, I want to learn about your crew and I want to see what you're doing to make sure those dogs that you want to play the derby game with and the Q game with and the Super Retriever Series game with, what are you trying to do, buddy? I try to start every morning from a place on my property that I can do both for lack of time. Like you talked about, we've got other issues and other things and more dogs doing things other than that. So we can't spend all day, every day doing that. But I try to make a concerted effort every day to work on those skills. And I think it's something they have to do every day if they're going to be competitive. And with the help that we've got, like I'm working on it right now, just making sure we got enough bird boys tomorrow. I think four four bird boys coming tomorrow. With four, four bird boys, we can get some things done. And right. so, you know, we're going to set up. We're not just going to run out on a four wheeler with a white coat and throw, you know, singles. We're going to have lots of multiple, you know, multiple guns out in the field. We're going to work on retired birds. We're going to work on picking out that long gun. And we're going to work on the skills that that it takes to to be somewhat competitive at that level, which. We're under the gut. We're behind the eight ball on that, as compared to a strictly field trial trainer that's going to show up at a queue with a bunch of dogs or a derby with a bunch of dogs. And, and we're just trying, trying our best to, to block out time every day where those dogs are getting something. And I've got great clients, you know, that have dogs that when they bring that puppy and we start it, you know, my question always is, what's your goal for your dog? And they say, well, I want it to do whatever it can do. 
I said, okay, well then let's just, let's bring this dog up as if it's going to be a field trial dog. And let's work on those skills early on and let's work on that long bird early on. Let's work on that short retired early on. Let's work on staying in the water as long as they can stay in the water um, early on in life and, you know, start to build those skills as a young dog. And when they get to that 15, 16, 17 month old age, start making the decision. Can this dog go be competitive in a derby? Because I'm not looking to waste their money or my time going to a, a derby queue with six to ten dogs if I don't think those dogs are going to be, you know, competitive at that event. So right. we're honest with them. We train them. If it, when it gets to be that time, like I've got a, I've got a golden right now. What is she? She's about 17, 18 months old. You saw her when she was a puppy here back in the winter. First day we brought her out for marks after fourth fetch. Wouldn't pick up a duck. Right, Mary We're out Jane. in the field playing with ducks. Get her to pick it up. The dog may be the most watery dog I've got. The dog loves to look out and find a longbird now. She's legit. And so we're scrounging through Entry Express now looking for derbies that we can run you know, the rest of this fall and winter, early spring before she ages out because she's, you know, she's a solid dog. We've got a couple of others that are just 12 or 13 months old now that had a field trial FC breedings that are nice dogs that are doing really, really good work. And that's all they've seen since they've been here is, is, is field trial setup. And so we're grooming them for that. And with the notion and, and telling the clients, look, even if it doesn't work out from that standpoint, you know, this dog at, at two years old is going to be ready to go run a master test. Right. So it's as simple as that. It's not a, it's not a negative thing. And, and they're not looking at it as, well, I guess we'll just run a master. They're like, wow, wow, we're already ready to run a master because we've been preparing the dog for so, so much bigger stuff that it's way easier to, you know, bring that dog back down and, and go run a master test or finish test and run the, the, the hunt test game with them. And they're getting passes and, and doing great work. But, man, we've got, we've got some really nice young dogs that like to do that. And we took some dogs to a few few weeks ago, had a great time, made it to the Made it to the third with almost the whole load of trucks and got in a little trouble on the water blind in the third series because our daggum dogs were trying to get in the water too early. And just being young dogs, they're all around two years old and just doing what young two-year-old dogs are trained to do, get in the water. It just so happened that we needed to run about 100 past water to get the next piece of water and kind of jumbled us up there a little bit at the beginning of the blind and, and cost us getting carried to the fourth. But it is fun. And it... You said it's like a hobby, and it, it, it kind of is. It's my time to have fun with the special dogs outside of hunt test season. I can't really let that get in the way of a hunt test. If right. we need to, we need a master pass on on some dogs, or we need dogs to get qualified for master nationals. And there's a master test and a field trial the same weekend. We're going to the master test. Absolutely, so it's just what we have to do. But it is. It's a little. It's my hobby. It's my fun. Load up the small trailer, go to a field trial on a Friday, and get our butts kicked, or do good and, and have a good time either way. And, and we're, we're having a pretty good time doing it. And we've got some dogs. I think that well, I think they'll be qualified all age before they turn three years old because they are really nice dogs. And heck, a couple of them are running the master test this weekend. Their first, and we're down a little bit. You know, this today running our setup and, and doing things a little bit closer and. A little bit different than, than what the in field trial training, but it's fun either way, and, and we're having a good time with it. So one thing that I'm doing with Quinn, just to use her as an example, is 
I'm trying not to overburden her. I'm trying not to overload too much. But with that being said, let's say three to four days a week, I've been able to work on white coat stuff real far. Look out for that long bird punch past short birds through old falls, you know, some, some pretty challenging stuff, but then I'll still throw her young dog stuff. So I'm trying to, and I don't know if this is right, wrong or indifferent, but I don't want her to always think 300, 400 yards. I don't want her, I want her to feel comfortable checking down and, and going to where the bird fell and not overrunning it. And so I'm, and again, I don't know what I'm doing. This is a hobby. This is, I've never had a derby dog. Memphis was probably the closest thing and I probably should have done it, but taking a dog at that age that has that ability level to punch out there and step on birds and take water and whatever but not lose that ability to then walk into a hunt test and not get overwhelmed by a 30 yard splash bird at a senior test or a master test where it's real tight. And you know, the furthest bird is 80 yards. So I'm trying to balance it out. And do you, are you with me on that? Do you, you understand what I'm trying to, to, to ba- have a balancing act with that little dog? I, I get it. I understand what you're saying. I don't do much of that. Not with these dogs. If there's one that is running a test coming up, I'm sure that week we're going to work on that. But I look at it as if this dog can, can look out and find a bird way out, can, can do these really tight derby doubles, can do these tough concepts that they are just hammering you on in a qualifying event, then I think my dog's going to mark that 40-yard bird. It's going to mark that 70-yard bird. I always looked at it as if kind of the way I looked at archery when I used to, you know, and, and do more of that. I would practice with that bow in the yard every day, 60, 70 yards. Would I ever have shot a deer that far? Probably not. But if I can hit that target at 70 yards, I was going to be able to pick the, the very hair I wanted to hit on that deer at 25 yards. Right. And hit it. And I've seen that with some of my dogs that are, that are running the qualifying events, that are running the derbies, and when we do run them in a, in a they don't handle on marks. They go right to bird. Yeah, you have to uphold that tight standard at the line still and make them sit. And a dog that loves a long bird is going to break on a 400-yard bird just like he's going to break on a 30-yard bird. We've got a young dog named Magic owned by a really good client of mine. It's got a lot of dogs uh, out of heck. Really, really good young dog. He gets on my trailer every morning, the youngest dog on my trailer, and he might sit in there half the morning, and we'll have some marks set up, and maybe we got white coats, maybe we don't, and I'll look out and see something pretty cool and see a mark. I'm like, all right, we're going to move, put a stick man out there on that, that hillside, put a stick man over there behind those trees and, and get a gunner out there. I'm going to get magic out of the trailer. We're going to walk to the mat. We're going to work on our line manners. We're going to sit down, and we're going to wait on that dog to find that long bird out there hidden somewhere. When he finds the bird, we throw the bird, let him go pick it up, put him back in the trailer. He does that two or three times a day, almost every day of the week. Comes out of the trailer, gets on the mat, finds that long bird. Today we had we're, we were grinding away and running a bunch of 
it was a true master setup. We ran it different ways for different dogs, but it was a true master setup with distances and all. And I had Bree get magic out. If they get magic out, let's run these marks. And she said, just they are, just like they are. Make them sit down, watch the bird, watch the flyer, watch that short, walk up for, you know, all the little things you had to do. And the dog it w- wasn't phased by it because he knows how to mark a bird. And so I think if they understand marking, you'll find those special dogs that like to look out, like to run long, to go, you know, pick up the big bird. And those dogs are going to be just fine with the, with the shorter things. So I don't spend a lot of time with that on those dogs unless we're going to a test that week. You know, cool. Fanny and Slayton and Kenny and Slayton, you know, just some of those dogs that are going to go run cues whenever we have the opportunity. I don't set up, uh, you know, a lot for them to check down and do hunt test scenarios. And they'll go to a hunt test and they, they do fine. But we're upholding that standard of, of obedience and line manners at the line. And, you know, that's the issue. Will they sit when that 30-yard bird comes out, like you said? Well, right. they will. Because they they get just as excited as looking out and seeing a bird way out there across the field or way out across the pond. I think some people think the dog's not as excited to pick up that long bird. Well, if the dog's not real excited about picking up that long bird, he's probably not going to be real successful anyway at that game. That's true. Um, these dogs get just as jacked for that bird as they do for any other bird. And I see it with our dog, Kenny, all the time. And I saw it with the, the first field trial he ran. He hammered the long bird. He wanted the long bird before I wanted him to want the long bird in that trial in the first series. Now, that was his best mark. And he left with just as much enthusiasm for that mark as he did the 90-yard flyer that was thrown in their face, which at a hunt, that wouldn't be considered in your face. But at a field trial, it was a, a pretty close flyer to be shot. He wanted hey, the big one. Hey, Blaine. Kevin uh, is giving me the wrap it up symbol. Apparently, our SD card is flashing at us saying we've got to, we're losing memory here. So, uh, what I, I don't I know, know what that means. I know, but what I want to just wrap up quickly is a big thank you to you and your time, and I want to do it again, and the next time we do it, I want you on a Traeger grill. Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.